Hey friends, I'm Ivana and I want you to join me every Monday for my show, True Crime Storytime with Ivana Estelle. Each week we cover a new case and all things missing, mystery, murder, and mayhem. And I even throw in a true crime fact in there at the end of each episode. Think of me as your best friend telling you a true crime case. What could be better than that? Each season is a new topic and I am so excited to share with you. So check me out streaming on all platforms Mondays at 10 a.m. and follow me on Instagram and TikTok at Ivana Estelle True Crime. See you then. Hello, crime family. Welcome back to episode 24. Hi, I'm Beth. And I'm Bailey. And we're True Crime B&B. I'm going first this week. Yes, I'm sitting back and letting you take it away. Although I'm trying with my story, even though it's the bad story, I'm trying to kind of bring it towards a positive light at the end. Uh huh. And I'm going to apologize in advance. I may sound a little wonky. I had a squirty nose mishap today. <laughs> Gross. <laughs> Meaning nasal spray. Yeah. I've got a post-nasal drip. Mm-hmm. Trying to clear that up so that I don't have to keep clearing my throat every two seconds. Well, it's good you're going first then. Then you can just sit back. <laughs> yeah, Chill. so when it starts to make me sound like a frog. Mm-hmm. Of course, I kind of already sound like a frog. This story is kind of roundabout. It kind of goes to two people, and then it goes to a history lesson, and then it goes back to another person, and then it kind of gives a resolution. So when it starts kind of going in a circle... Don't feel like I've completely lost my compass. I just... Okay, so it'll make sense um, by the end. I hope so. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to do my very best. In 2012, Lalita Ben Bansi and her mother traveled to her mother's childhood village in rural India to attend a relative's wedding. During the celebrations, an 18-year-old cousin of Lalita was drinking a lot, being particularly abrasive and rude, and he was taking every chance that he could to be offended. He was just looking for reasons to be pissed off at somebody. Mm-hmm. Lalita's brother and the cousin were on the ground. They were playing marbles, and they got into a big argument about something stupid. They were just arguing about nothing, basically, because the guy was just being a jackass. Yeah, when you're in the mood to fight, you're going to fight. Exactly. Lalita playfully went over and was trying to get him to knock off the bickering, and she just playfully slapped each of them to get them to play nicely together. Mm-hmm. And the cousin became enraged that she would show him such disrespect. So the cousin started shouting about how Lalita was conceited and she took too much pride in her beauty. And after that, he made a threat that he was going to throw acid on Lalita. And at the time, she assumed it was simply the alcohol talking and she didn't take him seriously. Mm-hmm. Five months later, Lalita and her mother were heading outside to go relieve themselves after dark because this is a rural village and they didn't have indoor facilities. Two men wearing masks quickly overtook them, knocked Lalita down on the ground, and drenched her face with acid. Lalita recognized the voice of her own cousin, and her mother confirmed later that that's who it was. In the beam of the flashlight, with the one eye that wasn't destroyed by the acid, she could see his eyes and she knew it was him. Lalita's family couldn't even afford hospital treatment. After months at her grandmother's house, she was convinced to go to Mumbai, where a group called Make Love Not Scars raised money for her to be seen by doctors and received some amount of medical care. Obviously, she's not going to get the golden ticket here, but it's better than nothing. Well, that does give me a little hope that there are groups out there for things like this, but holy crap, yeah, We'll talk more about that at the end. Okay. Lalita's face was unrecognizable in every way. At first, all they could do was just remove the parts of her face that had been destroyed or were at risk of being infected. Mm -hmm. She suffered destruction of one eye, like total destruction, and that eye now just shows a white scar. Her ears were burned and melted completely away. Her nose was burned and damaged. Several surgeries later, it had swollen to twice its original size. Her skin is broken, lumpy, mottled with non-melanated patches, and scarring from destroyed skin causes divots and puckers in her chin, bottom lip, and cheeks. Wow. She had had 25 surgeries and still required about 30 more to rebuild the parts of her face that just really no longer existed. Mm -hmm. But those surgeries are just the basics that would be required to restore the function and prevent infection. Cosmetic procedures to return her appearance closer to normal were still far off for her at that time, at best and not guaranteed to help. But no matter what doctors could do for her, she will never see out of her ruined right eye. Mm -hmm. In 2013, in Mumbai, Lakshmi was enjoying a beautiful day 
walking joyfully with a smile on her lips along a street that she traveled often. She was 15 years old and felt that the life ahead of her was going to be bright. She reached almost to an intersection and noticed, coming from down the street, she could see her brother-in-law and his friend's girlfriend headed towards her on a scooter. She smiled as they approached her. The brother-in-law quickly hopped off the scooter. She thinks he's coming to greet her. And as he raced towards Loxme, it seemed a little weird in what a hurry he seemed to be. But it was her brother-in-law, so Loxme just waited there as he got closer. When he was within reach of her, the brother-in-law, Naeem Khan, grabbed her, held her down, and poured what Loxme at first thought was a glass of water on her face and neck. She couldn't understand what he was doing. But as it began to burn, she became even more confused. She sat up. She noticed that some of her skin was just dripping off of her face. Mm -hmm. Holes were forming in her hands and arms where that liquid had splashed. The pain that she felt was agonizing. It was all so surreal that she couldn't even grasp what was happening. Loxmi had, like Lalita, become a victim of an acid attack. Loxmi's physical scars are less dramatic than many attack victims. She still has two eyes. Her mouth still opens wide enough so that she can eat fresh fruit and cookies and cheese, whatever she wants to eat. Mm -hmm. Her nose and ears are still recognizable. But nine years later, she still finds it painful to speak the name of her attacker. The only reason that her burns were less dramatic than Lalita's was because Loxme was in the city and she got some medical care. Yeah. Lalita was out in the middle of nowhere and there was no doctor and there was no medical care. No one to intervene and help her try to minimize the damage to her face and her skin. This situation is one of those where the sooner you get medical intervention, the best outcome you're going to have. And that's awful. Absolutely. I mean, it's going to be bad no matter what. The pain's going to be terrible regardless. She writes her feelings in a notebook. Loxme wrote the attacker a letter asking him, Did you ever even once think about how painful it would be to have acid thrown on your whole face? Of course, she never got an answer to this. She attends group therapy with other attack survivors who have been helped by the Make Love Not Scars Foundation, like Lalita. Mm -hmm. And there are other ones, and we'll talk a little bit about those too. She has nearly a decade of recovery behind her, but Loxme's life will never be the same that she had envisioned at 15. According to a man named Dr. Ashok Gupta, who has been a plastic surgeon in India for 35 years, a survivor of a medium-intensity attack requires at least 15 to 20 surgeries, just to remove the most damaged tissue and close the skin where it's been dissolved. Mm -hmm. Dr. Gupta alone has operated on more than 150 victims of acid violence. Acid attacks are brutal. They are excruciatingly painful and they are unbelievably cruel. They became common to avenge imaginary slights of the mostly disgruntled male population. 75 to 80% of victims are women. The most common type of attacker has been men whose sexual or marriage intentions have been discouraged or rejected. There have been girls as young as 10 mutilated by men in their 40s who wanted to marry the child and were rebuffed by the parents. But there are strict cultural and or family expectations, at least in India and in South Asia, of the behavior of women. And so there are attacks by men who felt their sisters were not deferential enough. Neighbors, near strangers who just didn't like how proud a neighbor seemed to be while walking down the street. They think, you think you're beautiful? Well, Mm -hmm. let me show you. So is that what happened? What was her name? Loxmi didn't give a reason. I don't know if she knew the reason. Yeah, that's what's blowing my mind. Is Not that I can understand any of these, obviously, but... The brother-in-law had an axe to grind. I don't know what it was. And I wish that I did, because I know that's upsetting. But the fact that it happened at all is really... Because his reason doesn't matter. Yeah, the truth is, no matter what reasoning he gave... It doesn't There's matter. There's no reason that's that good that's enough. That's okay, yeah. There's no reason that's good enough. And there are some other things in here that will just blow your mind. Mm-hmm. The acid thrower wants to punish their victim for these fictional slights to their egos in the most depraved way by ruining their face, permanently disfiguring them. Sometimes it takes their sight. A lot of them have lost eyes. Some of them have lost both their eyes. They isolate them in a lonely and frightening world where people avoid them because they're afraid of how they look. I mean, they are dramatic. Mm -hmm. The photos of these poor people are dramatic. They have a difficult time finding a job. They have a difficult time earning a living wage. Some of them sink into such depths of despair that they take their own lives. 
Compared to the horrible destruction that this crime causes, it has been vastly accessible to the monsters who commit it. Easily purchased over the counter and inexpensive, anybody could acquire acid. With one quick motion, an attacker causes unimaginable and inescapable pain, literal destruction of a person's face, probably loss of their sight, loss of current and or future romantic prospects. There have been people who were engaged to be married and after this, their supposed romantic partner said, so, ah, can't be part just of this. bounces out. Yeah, they just bounce out. They didn't sign up for that, they're gone. Infuriates mm, me. Yeah. These people have also lost their financial prospects. They've lost their ability to get employment. They feel ashamed about how they look, the appearance of their scars. And I want to put an asterisk on that because there are a lot of activists that are really trying to help these attack survivors Mm -hmm. see that this isn't who you are. They may have changed how you look, but you are the same person in your heart. If you were a good person before, you're a good person now and you have no reason to feel ashamed. Well, it's the same thing with any kind of attack, whether it be sexual assault, assault of some, just like a violent attack of any kind. A lot of the people come out feeling ashamed that that happened to them. And at the end of the day, it's not your fault. It's never anybody's fault. That's right. So. They still experience fear. They still experience PTSD. And to top it all off, when the two women that I mentioned at the beginning of the story were attacked in 2013 Mm -hmm. and before 2013, acid attacks were not even named offenses in the Indian Criminal Code. Wow. It wasn't even a listed crime. Any victim who was able to get any kind of judicial justice was an exception. So was that just for women or was that against men as well? Like if if there are differences in how any attack against a man might be versus any attack against mm-hmm. a woman, if there was a difference in that, then it would apply. But I don't think that any kind of acid attack, because men are acid attacked in India also. Right. I mean, I saw a lot of them on one of the websites I was looking at. So they do experience this too. In fact, acid blinding was, and I cringe to even say this, Mm -hmm. it was an accepted form of criminal punishment in the Bihar state in India in the 1980s. Acid blinding. So like in the prison system, they would do this too? They were holding them down and pouring acid into their eyes to blind them. Okay. It was 21 years before anybody at that prison was held accountable for this barbaric treatment of scores of prisoners. It was dozens and dozens of prisoners experienced this. For 37 years, R.K. Mishra, a local lawyer in Bihar, has advocated for victims of such forcible blinding, no longer only happening in the prison. Women who upset or aggravate their husbands, children who steal crops out of a field, locals that people just find odd, nonconformist, They're all vulnerable and susceptible to somebody just grabbing them and being forcibly blinded by acid being poured into their eyes. And I didn't write this down, but one of the statements that someone made was, yes, you could kill them, but if you blind them, then they die again every day. So that's a clue to the cruelty that's intended by doing this kind of a thing to somebody. It's straight up torture that they're never going to get out of. That's right. That's right. That's why there is a high incidents of Mm self-harm and suicide amongst people who go through this because they may never be rid of the pain. Mm -hmm. They will probably never be rid of the scars. It's just horrifying. The more I read about this, the more horrifying this whole scenario is. We hear of acid attacks here in the West. Mm -hmm. We hear about them. And for most of us, We just assume this happens in India, Bangladesh, Pakistan. Mm -hmm. And in fact, it has been a really terrible blight on South Asia. But if you think acid attacks only happen in South Asia, you would be wrong. Mm -hmm. While the nations with the highest incidences of acid attacks do consist of Colombia, Uganda, Afghanistan, India, Pakistan, Bangladesh, and Nepal, This horrific violence actually started in 18th century Britain. Really? It did. Sulfuric acid was manufactured in factories along the Thames and spread to other cities until it reached Edinburgh because they were using it in the textile industry. Mm -hmm. And the textile industry was huge 
in Scotland and in some of the cities in the north of England. And maybe elsewhere as well, but that's, those are the specifically... Well, it's huge in Europe in general. Yes, yeah. yes. I mean, as people started going places and doing more things, they needed different types of clothing. Mm-hmm. So, At this time, sulfuric acid was known as oil of vitriol, or just vitriol, and became widely used in textile bleaching and dyeing, as I mentioned. And as manufacture of it became more and more heavy to support the growing textile industries, it began to inspire criminals who did terrible things with it. One of the first people to be punished for an acid attack ever was a man named Hugh Kennedy in 1830s Edinburgh, who threw vitriol, or sulfuric acid, in the face of a sleeping fellow servant. While people were so horrified that someone could do this to another person, he was hung. It became very common in Scotland, particularly Glasgow, to hear of vitriol attacks. And it was said that there were so many of them at that time that it had become almost a stain on the national character. Kennedy, the guy who was hung for pouring it on the sleeping servant, Mm -hmm. was not the only person to be hung for these crimes. But it also became common at that time to punish the throwers by cutting off their arms so they would be without the power to ever throw vitriol again. And you know what? After I've seen some of the things that have happened to people, mm-hmm. I can see why they would feel that way. I was just going to say, you know, I'm not I'm not horrified with that. If you are the kind of person who could do that to another person, mm-hmm. you get what you give. Yep. It remained a terrible scourge on the country until the mid-19th century. It became less prevalent in industrialized countries and more prevalent in the developing world in the second half of the 20th century. The first publicized modern instance of South Asia of an acid attack, at least the first one I could find, Mm -hmm. occurred in East Pakistan in 1967. Wow. There may have been other ones, but this was the first one that made the news. That's that's wild, but also, I don't know, that seems like a while ago, but it doesn't, it's not that long ago. It was the year after I was born. Yeah. It's not that long ago. That's what I'm saying. Like, it sounds like, oh my God, a century ago, no offense, but like... (laughs) (laughs) I hear you. You know what I'm saying. I do. Well, and it seems like it was such a more innocent world back there, but it wasn't. Yeah. Look at what was going on in Vietnam and Napalm and all the things. I mean, this was a terrible, (laughs) terrible time in the world, too. Every time in the world is terrible, I guess. Yeah, that's true. But not great. (laughs) But that doesn't mean that the modern West has ridded itself of the horrors of acid violence. Mm Mm-hmm. Just because we see stories of it more coming from South Asia, that doesn't mean it's not still happening in the West. In 2016, and I'm sure there's more updated data, but the the article I was reading was really good, and so I just used this data. Mm -hmm. In 2016, there were an average of two acid attacks every single day in the UK. Every single day, two acid attacks in the UK. I thought you were going to say every month or something, but holy. There were over 500 that year, and the numbers have just continued to rise. 23% of these attacks were actually recorded as robberies. So they don't all even get categorized as an assault. A lot of them, they treat them as robberies. Oh, and they sprayed acid in their face too. Moped gangs, the gang people were saying that the gangs are using acid. They're all carrying acid because if one guy has it, they all need to have it in order to protect themselves. But the police were saying it's not that big of a deal that the gangs are still mostly carrying blade-type weapons. So I don't know exactly what that comes down to, whether the gangs are actually carrying acid Mm -hmm. in squirty bottles. But regardless, these numbers really shocked me. I had no idea it was this prevalent there. I'm sorry, I can't just go past moped gang. They literally ride mopeds. Some of them do. Well, the streets are really narrow, you know. I know, but I just can't imagine a moped gang. That is, whatever, but it's just... (laughs) Just because they're on mopeds doesn't mean they're not dangerous. Well, I mean, you can be a scooter gang, too, but, like, I just don't see that being very threatening, I guess. But if you have acid, yeah, that's pretty threatening. (sighs) Good lord, okay. So, we're gonna just forget about the moped gang. Yeah, move past the moped gang, I'm done. Anyway, the point of all of this was that there are a lot of acid attacks still that are happening in the UK. And in fact, in 2016, there was an attack at the Mangle nightclub, and this gravely injured 20 people at one time. Somebody just came in there and sprayed acid all over the people that were in the nightclub. How do you have that much acid even on you? 
Well, what I was seeing was that water bottles with the little sippy top. Oh, and you just squirt it. Yeah. They just fill up two or three of those and they squirt them everywhere. And I'm horrified by this. I mean, it's scary enough in the U.S., but at least there's some chance of seeing somebody with an AR-15. If somebody's just got something in their pocket that looks like a bottle of water... Who's going to think anything of that? Even after you've been sprayed with it, it sounds like a lot of the people didn't even realize what had happened. Oh, as soon as it starts burning, they know what oh, happened. Oh, I know, but you're in, think about it. You're in the middle of a crowd at like a concert and or whatever. What the hell do you do to get away? You think, oh, somebody sweated on me or something weird like that at yeah. first. And then it just happens. And now you're stuck in a crowd. Oh, my jeez. That's yeah. bad. And there's 20 of them. So everybody's trying to get to the bathroom and get this off of their skin. Mm-hmm. So I mentioned the Mangle Nightclub incident. Mm-hmm. Joanne Rand is another person from the UK. She was hit in an acid attack that was not even intended for her. There were two guys arguing in a cemetery and one guy went to squirt acid on the other guy, missed that guy, and it sprayed all over Joanne Rand. She's just sitting on a bench. She had just visited her daughter's grave. Holy She's sitting on a bench and 11 days later she died from septicemia and her murderer mm. went to prison for 17 years. Just 17 years? They called it manslaughter. He didn't intentionally kill her. I guess they gave him credit for not trying to kill her. But nevertheless, she died from this because she got poisoned, basically. Mm-hmm. Got into her bloodstream and stuff. Sergei Filin, the artistic director of the famous Bolshoi Ballet, mm-hmm. was attacked in 2013 and was nearly completely blinded. He's almost completely blind. Kirsty Trupp and Katie Gee were British tourists in Zanzibar who were attacked in an apparently random crime. The two women were sprayed with acid, but they were right next to the sea, and they immediately ran into the sea trying to get it off of their skin. Yeah. Thinking that, I'm just going to rinse it off. No, hold on to that thought. It was fortunate for them. A doctor responded to this. It was fortunate for them because salt water is alkaline. Mm Mm-hmm which is the opposite of acid. Neutralizes it, So it helped to neutralize the acid. They had a lot less damage because they were able to get into the seawater. If your only option is self-care and first Mm -hmm. aid treatment, that might be something to consider. But I do want to return to India for a minute and loop back around to tell you about Dalat B in Mumbai. Mm -hmm. Dalat was 26. She was very independent. She worked as a makeup artist. The website of Dalat's organization, which I will tell you about in a minute, states that the brother-in-law of Dalat, mm-hmm. so her older sister's husband, wanted to marry Dalat. Okay. There was some sort of a disagreement within the household. Mm-hmm. He wanted something that he couldn't have, and the reason that is stated on the website is that he wanted Dalat's house. So I guess if he married her, then he would be able to have her house. Okay. I, I see where you're going. Okay. Well, Dalat didn't want to marry this guy. Of course. Like many stories, it enraged him because no one seems to be able to handle their shit when they get rejected anymore. Mm -hmm. The older sister and the brother-in-law decided that they were going to get back at her one day while she, her two other sisters, and her niece, an infant, were all sitting on the couch. Where do you think this is going to go? Oh, jeez. The older sister and her husband descended upon Dalat mad at her everybody else is caught in the crossfire and they poured acid on her the niece the infant received some burns on her face and she's got permanent scarring Mm. her sisters reshma and saira were also burned but far less severely they also have permanent burns dalat who was the central figure and the one they were really mad at was badly disfigured she endured unbelievable pain she still suffers emotional trauma It partially blinded her. She considers herself lucky that she can still see anything. Oh, yeah, but Jesus. It melted the skin off of her face, her hands, and her back. Dalat told YourStory.com, and this is a quote from her, I couldn't open my eyelid nor my mouth. I cannot even describe the pain I underwent. It felt like I was sitting inside a fire. The acid had burned down to the bottom epidermis below my nerves. I know, it's horrible. It's horrible. It's horrible. She spent two months in the hospital, and then she was transferred to a private hospital. She was very lucky that she had access to medical care. Well, you said Mumbai, right? Mumbai, yeah. Okay. But, I mean, she was also successful at what she was doing, so she had some resources to get herself some medical care. She was in her bed at home for a year. 
She couldn't work as a makeup artist anymore. Not because she couldn't do it, but because people were scared of how she looked. So she Mm -hmm. lost her career. She felt socially stigmatized and excluded. But Dalot was defiant. She was a strong woman. She refused to break. She knew not all victims had anyone to speak for them, did not have access to any resources at all. They didn't have any assistance, including medical care. And she didn't want other victims to suffer as much as she had. So she stood strong. She spoke up. She decided to work to provide resources, counseling, education, and employment opportunities for survivors of acid attacks. Mm -hmm. Through the Acid Survivors Sahas Foundation, which is the organization that Dalat helped start, survivors can find the camaraderie of others who can truly understand what they've experienced because, as you can imagine, nobody understands what you've been through unless they've Mm -hmm. been through it too as well as providing opportunities for them to have jobs. Mm -hmm. So they assist emotionally, they assist with resources, they help them to get medical care, and they also help them to find jobs, which gives them the basis to lead an independent life. Oh, I love that. I do too. But starting this organization was sort of a band-aid on a huge problem because until 2013, as I mentioned before, The Indian criminal law did not even identify acid attacks as a criminal offense. In 2013, acid attacks finally became punishable crimes in the Indian Penal Code. But even after the laws went into effect, hundreds of cases were reported the following years. Mm -hmm. Next door to India, Bangladesh took a stricter approach to it. They had instituted strict controls on the sale of acid, as well as harsh punishments for perpetrators of these horrific crimes. Mm -hmm. That country, Bangladesh, is widely seen as being on the right path to get this problem under control. They experienced a huge reduction in cases over the first few years of instituting the death penalty for acid attackers. And like I said before, if you knowingly go and you intentionally destroy every aspect of someone's life forever, Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, but I don't have any sympathy for you when they send you to the gallows or no. whatever. Mm-hmm. And I'm not even a big fan of the death Capital penalty. Com- punishment? Yeah. I don't feel that it's appropriate in, in a lot of cases. Mm-hmm. Holy shit, this is just so brutal. And until you look at what I've looked at mm-hmm. for this story, you just don't know how awful this crime is against people. <sighs> but in India, I was going off on a tangent there. So Bangladesh experienced a huge reduction in cases after instituting the death penalty. Mm-hmm. But in India, the number number of reported cases continued increasing even after laws had been put in place to control it so I don't know the answer to that I think they probably have better data Mm -hmm. now that isn't available yet or maybe they're just actually reporting it more you know I think that there is some of that in fact I was just going to say Pakistan has also tightened up its laws and does have reduced attacks but it's also increased the rates of reporting Mm -hmm. so I think in Bangladesh and in Pakistan the victims are feeling more validated that someone did something wrong to me. I didn't deserve this. This shouldn't have happened to me. And so they're reporting them more too. But even though the numbers of victims have not begun to go down in India, Dalat feels optimistic that there will be change that grows from the seeds that her generation is planting. Mm -hmm. Make Love Not Scars is an organization that helped Lalita, the first lady in our story. And this was an organization that was founded by Reshma Qureshi, an acid attack survivor, and Tania Singh, who had a conventional burn and discovered that there was really very little support available for burn victims in general. Mm -hmm. But then the acid attacks, of course, have the emotional impact of someone did this to me intentionally. And so they got together and made this organization. These two wanted to create an organization that would both support the victims to live dignified lives, but also have an arm that lobbies government agencies and gets public support to create stronger laws with stricter bans on acid purchases. Mm -hmm. Partly due to the activism of Make Love Not Scars, in December of 2015, the Supreme Court of India directed all Indian states to ban the -the over-the-counter sale of acid. Mm -hmm. So in 2013, they made it a crime. In 2015, they banned the sale. Good. So Dalat commented that, at least I am glad that this has become a punishable offense. Nobody has the right to ruin a person's life. 
And then back to Dalat's organization, the Asset Survivors Sahas Foundation, mm -hmm. which was started by Dalat, was another organization that helped Lalita, again from the first story. So Lalita had assistance from Make Love Not Scars and the Sahas Foundation. Mm -hmm. And Lalita, I told you, had been attacked by her cousin after a confrontation at a family wedding. Well, after years of healing and recovery, one day she was making a phone call and misdialed the number. Because of how the acid had blurred her vision and blinded her completely in one eye, it was really tricky for her to dial the phone. Mm -hmm. It was the wrong number, she apologized, but the man who answered the wrong number was really friendly and kept talking with her. And then later, they called each other again, intentionally. Over the next two months, there were dozens of phone calls. And then they met in person. And then one day, after meeting several times, he suggested they get married. So Lalita is now married to this compassionate, gentle-hearted man who looks at her and sees so much more than the scars caused by a deranged monster. And I will put in our show notes the two organizations that I've been talking mm -hmm. about. MakeLoveNotScars.org and ASSFIndia.org. So it's ASSF. INDIA.org. And that website is the one with the survivors on it. And mm -hmm. I don't want someone to go there thinking that this is easy to look at. Mm -hmm. It is very shocking and very awful to see what has happened to these people. The website has tried really hard to show that this could happen to anybody. Yeah. And these victims are still worthy of love and compassion, worthy of assistance. The survivor stories are devastating. I think some of them have been written by staff from the website, and some of them have been written by the victims themselves. Mm -hmm. You can tell by the change in person. Yeah. But they are devastating. Yeah. And I will warn you about that. But please do check it out. And if you have an inclination, maybe try to donate to one of these organizations mm -hmm. so that more individuals who are going through and this... spread awareness. Because these people have been brutalized for no reasons at all. And they did nothing to cause it. And they didn't deserve it. And it's just... It's a horrible problem. And mm -hmm. I'm glad that there are, are legal improvements in trying to make it yeah and every rollout's going to be kind of slow so hopefully in the next few years or so we yeah but wow. i was really shocked about the uk's problem with this and that's yeah. probably more prevalent there because they you know here people just shoot you mm -hmm. i mean i'm sure that there are some acid attacks in the u.s too yeah but here if somebody's pissed at you they're going to shoot you i mean there was the acid attack right down the street from me when i lived back in ohio Tell me what happened there. I don't know if I know that. So basically there was a woman who's probably about my age that I am now, so mid-20s-ish, mm -hmm. and she had recently got out of an abusive relationship and had moved out to the apartments near my house. And then she had been away from this guy for months. And then she just went to pump gas at the speedway by my oh, house. Shit. And she heard somebody say her name, so she turned around and he just splashed acid oh, in her face. And a couple years later, she died. Oh my god. So she was in the hospital intubated for years. And oh, then she finally just succumbed to all the injuries. And it was awful. That's and horrifying. you think, that doesn't happen in America. It does. It happened in my town. So. I just don't think it happens as much. <sighs> it's not a primary. Mm -hmm. But you can see that's exactly the situation that we're talking about. Yeah. I mean, and she probably would have died immediately if she had been in one of these other countries. Yeah, she hadn't been in the middle of a major city in Ohio. Yeah. Yeah, because I'm sure that healthcare, you know, EMT services probably got to her quickly. And mm -hmm. That's awful. Oh my God. I'm yeah. so sorry to hear that. I never heard that story. This was when I was early high school, maybe late middle school. So I only knew about it. I think a lot of people probably don't know because it happened literally two blocks from my house. Wow. Okay, so today I am taking you on my better story. Let's just put it like that. Okay. Back to central Ohio, kind of, in Ohio. All right. All right? Well, you just told us a story from central Ohio. Another one, yeah. So we're just going to stay in that general area. So, so I'm going to tell you the story of Maggie Malloy. Okay. okay. Do I know that name? I said it yesterday just to see if you had heard it before okay. but i didn't tell you anything about it okay so i so you have heard it. the name briefly in passing i only not. heard it yesterday but you might have heard the story so okay. we'll see maggie was born it was really hard to find background information on her because she is very private now after everything that happens you probably understand why it's fair enough but maggie was born sometime in december in 1978 in Bucyrus, ohio mm-hmm 
She ended up going to Galleon High School in Galleon, Ohio, and when she was a sophomore there at the age of 15, she decided to join the cross-country team because she was always very athletic and just found out she was pretty good at it. So okay. she hopped on board. She started running with them. I think they started every morning at like 6 o'clock, and then they do the typical cross-country thing where you see them if you're going to work. You just see a big yeah. group of high schoolers 40 running 40 kids fast. chasing each other down the road. Exactly. And at first you're like, <laughs> okay. But... Yeah, so they would do that every morning to set up for the season that was coming up. Mm-hmm. On the morning of September 16th, 1994, again, she's 15 at this point, they met up at 6.30 a.m. that day for their normal run, and it was supposed to be a four-mile run across town through residential area. Okay. So a couple neighborhoods, but all residential. Three miles in, she's running with a group of her friends, and she got a leg cramp, basically. And so she decided, I'm going to turn around, go back to the school, I'll meet you guys back at the school. So, she was a mile from being done, and they've already gone three miles. No, it was a round trip of eight miles. So it was four miles in one direction, four miles oh, back. Okay. So she's three miles in, but she's like, I don't feel like running an extra five miles, for yeah, whatever. I have to do the three. Yeah, so she just kind of jogged the rest of the way back. Okay. As she is jogging back, she's now all alone and has left the pack of her friends, and she decided to put on her headphones and had her Walkman on her, and she was listening to Paula Abdul, which is so 90s, I love it, but... It is, but girls, always be able to hear what's going on around you, please, everybody. In small town Ohio in the 90s, you don't think anything's going to happen. We've all been prey to thinking that we're safe when we really aren't, but... I know, but I just don't like where this is going. I know. So yeah, she starts jogging back on her own. As she's listening to her Walkman, somebody walked out of... There was a tree line, some houses... But yeah. somebody snuck up from the tree line and just clotheslined her. Just put their arm out, grabbed her by the neck, and oh pulled my her. God. And at first she thought it was one of her friends joking around. Yeah, that sounds so funny. I know. But she was like, they just grabbed me by the neck and were pulling me backwards off of the sidewalk. And so she turned around and was like, wait, I don't know this person. This is a random man I've never seen before. Yeah. He grabbed her and put a gun up to her side as he dragged her between the two houses that she was running in between and into the wood line. Ugh. After dragging her, there was, I guess, behind the wood line, there was a YMCA for the community, and okay. there was a little baseball diamond. Mm-hmm. So he dragged her out to the baseball diamond and into the dugout, and he pushed her face down, pulled a shoelace out of her shoe, and tied her hands behind her back at this point. She then could feel a knife against her back as he cut off her clothes. So we know where this is going. <sighs> And at this point, she had only been wearing a t-shirt and shorts, so it didn't take very long for him to cut it off. But then he proceeded to rape her. He then led her through some rough brush and had the gun to her back still, so she was ahead of him and making her pave the way completely naked at this point through all of these thorns and bushes, and she had no hands. All of her hands were tried behind her back, so Terrible. she just tearing Tear her, her skin, skin to pieces. Yeah. Ugh. She is actually, she has an episode of I Survived, one of the earlier ones. I think it's season three, episode three, so if you want to watch that, where she talks about her experience. And she said her goal at this point was to stall and let the daylight come, because it's 6.30 in the morning. It's still pitch black outside Yeah. in the middle of September. Right. It may not be pitch black, but it's still pretty, pretty dim. It was pitch black in the woods, basically, you know, so. Yeah. He just kept leading her out into the woods. And the further away they got, the further from society she was. So she just knew at some point, nobody's going to hear me scream if I keep going further and further and further. So they walked for actually about 10 miles after the dugout incident. And then he eventually got comfortable enough. He sat her down in kind of a clearing, but they were still surrounded by trees. And he sat her down, started talking to her, and eventually he untied her hands. He was kind of like trying to connect to her, and she was doing the same, probably not for the same reason. He's like, hey, you want to be my girlfriend? No. She's like, I don't think I do. He's basically like, oh, I didn't mean for it to go this far. I don't know what I'm going to do now. And she's like, well, it's okay. You know, trying to talk her way out of this situation. As the sun began to rise, they're still sitting in this little clearing, and she finally got a good look at his face. And she kind of realizes, God, they've walked 10 miles, and she's just now finally getting a look at him. What? Up until now, he's been behind her with the gun or raping yeah, her with her face down. I know that. I know. I'm just. It's, I'm just. Well, I think she also realizing that. Yeah, she also probably was trying to avoid it because you know, once you get a good look at their face, that's when they're like, "Oh, you can identify me." Yeah. Thing. 
Yeah. She's starting to get a little more comfortable because, like I said, he's been apologizing. They've been talking to each other. He knows about her past. She's kind of learned a few things, but she didn't ask his name. She made a point never to ask his name so she wouldn't identify him. And But they're just humanizing each other, okay. for her better or worse. And she's starting to think she can get away from this. However, as he's talking to her, starts referring to her in past tense. Oh. One thing she said in the I Survived episodes was, what a knockout you would have been. And she realized that he did intend to shoot her at the end of this, no matter what, whether that was now or later. Holy shit. So she's like, he's talking about me as if I'm already dead. So Yeah. So at this point, he pressed the 12-inch knife into her chest over her heart just to make let her know that he could do it, just to tease her. And she Like stabbed her or pressed it against her? He didn't stab it, but she was naked, and he pressed it against her chest and started kind of piercing it a little bit, but just enough to draw some blood. Wow. So teasing her, basically. Fucking sadist. Yeah, and then he said something about she was 15 and not sexually active at the time. She didn't know what he meant by it, but he said, if you bite it, I'll shoot you. And she said, I didn't know what that meant at the time. And then she's, I love her so much. While she's telling this, she kind of giggled and said, well, I do now. And he raped her orally after that. Anyone who experiences a sexual assault goes Mm -hmm. through something horrible. But for children... To have their innocence just bulldozed Mm -hmm. away. It's just heartbreaking. After he did that to her, he told her that he was going to put her to sleep, in quotes, then tried to strangle her. Again, she's face down, he's got her in a chokehold, and he's just doing that for several minutes. However, she never lost consciousness. And he started to just bury her under debris, and she could hear him walking away. So she kind of thought, Oh, maybe he thinks I am dead because I'm not moving or squirming anymore. And she had just kind of given into it at this point. Yeah. So she could hear his footsteps on the leaves walking away. Is she still untied? She's, I think she is. Okay. But she's kind of scared to move because, again, she well, he has a course. gun, you know. Yeah. But so she called out eventually after a couple of minutes to check if he was still there. So she calls out and says, hello, hello. And then she hears a loud, on the ground, like a thunk. And he had climbed a tree to see if she was going to do anything, if she thought he was gone. Okay. So he jumped down from the tree, and apparently he had also gone up there to see if anybody was searching for her in the woods. And he realized there was a search party happening in the woods, and he started to get panicked. He continued to walk her even further back into the ravine, and Maggie actually saw a helicopter going back and forth overhead, but she was making sure not to actually look at it, because she didn't want him to notice that it was right above them, yeah. if he didn't already. I don't know how he wouldn't have noticed that. I don't know either, but like I said, she didn't know it yet, but a search party had started for her when she had not returned to the school, and at one point, as they're walking further in, and after she hears the helicopter overhead... At one point, she could hear a female voice from the far back of the brush scream, Maggie. So she heard her scream, Maggie, and realized immediately that it was her mom. Wow. But in fear that she would get her mom hurt, because the man still got the gun aimed at her, she remained silent and continued on. Did she have any guess how far away her her mom's voice was coming from? Yeah, she said it echoed, so she knew it wasn't close, close. But if she had screamed, she definitely would have heard her back. Yeah. But, whew. Wow. After getting nervous again, feeling the search closing in on him, her attacker instructed her to lay on her stomach again and that he was going to have to shoot her. She, at this point, took his hand gently in hers and told him that what he did was bad, but they could both still walk away from this if he just ran right now. And he told her he had to, but in quotes, he said, Don't worry, because I'll write a letter to your parents and tell them just how wonderful you were. As if that's any fucking consolation. Shit, you piece of maggot. Yeah. That's not even a thing. A piece of maggot. A piece of maggot. He's multiple maggots in one human being. She's now laying face down, but just as she turned around, like, she kind of peeked over her shoulder to look at him again, and immediately she could see that he was taking aim. So she moved her face back to the ground and just braced for what was about to happen. And he shot her five times. In her head? Twice in the head, twice in the back, and once in her right arm. So at this point, he began to run. So does he not think that this is going to bring the search party closer to him? I think he just doesn't care because he's going to run. He made a run for it as soon as he fired the shots. He just didn't want her to be able to identify him. I I understand that, but right now they have no idea where they are. Mm Mm-hmm. 
in this huge forest, but yeah. now they know where you are. Well, I don't know. They're out in the middle of the woods. He could have gone in any direction. I think it's stupid. It's definitely a stupid move on his part to use the loudest weapon you have. Yeah. But I think he just wasn't thinking it all the way through. Well, I guess there's, we should be happy about that. Yeah. At this point, Maggie has been shot five times, but she is still conscious. It's amazing when you hear about people who've been shot in the head and then they... Yeah. They can still function. She remembers everything. Jesus Christ. She was still conscious, but she said that she couldn't feel anything at this point. Not as in paralyzed, just as in adrenaline took over her whole body and she was like, whoa, I'm still alive. I heard five shots and I'm I'm still here. She probably didn't even know for sure where she'd been shot. Yeah, she said she had no idea how many times she had been shot. If he had actually hit her all the times, if just once, whatever. Yeah. But he saw that she was still conscious, so he proceeded to hit her with the back of the gun, so he pistol whipped her in the face, and ran. So he's gone at this point. I I just don't get these people. I I just don't get it. This woman just running down, not even a woman, a girl running down the road. little thing, yeah. Trying to get back to her high school because she's got a leg cramp, and you're just going to snatch her off the street and brutalize her like this, like it's your right. She could hear the police getting closer and calling for her, but realized that they couldn't see her. And she's laying on the ground, having been shot five times. Yeah. But she still jumped to her feet. That's amazing. I know. Five gunshot wounds, and she's jumping to her feet. She jumps to her feet, and she realizes at this point she's unable to move her right arm. And that's the arm that had been shot, so it was paralyzed for the time being. She also said she couldn't talk, so she, like, put her hand on her face, and there was just a giant hole where her cheek used to be. Yeah. She started to take a few steps towards the police officer's voices before collapsing, because obviously she's way more hurt than she thinks she is at this point. Of course. Yeah. Realizing that now she's down on her back, basically, and can't move her arms, so she puts both of her legs up in the air and just starts waving them from the ground. Yeah. And that's what eventually flags down the police officers. So three and a half hours she had been with this man. Oh, Yeah. But three and a half hours after she had last been seen by her teammates, the police spotted and rescued her. She spent only 13 days in the hospital. Wow. Well, I'm sure she had a lot of follow-up visits yeah, after yeah. that. It's... So 13 days in the hospital initially, and then had to have several surgeries to realign her jaw alone afterwards. Yeah. But yeah. to this day, she still has three of the bullets lodged in her body, but... She uses humor to cope with it. Like I said, I love this lady. She named them after the Rice Krispies she used to love. Snap, Crackle, and Pop. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> Two of them were in her right lung, so it just wasn't safe to operate. Mm-hmm. And then the third one is the one that went into her jaw and it stopped on her cheekbone. It's still in her head? It's still in her face, yeah. Oh my god. Finally, the police, they said it was the same day, but about eight hours later, they finally caught up to this monster. His name was Charles Vaughn, and he was 21 years old at the time. He was arrested at, they said they tracked him down to a local, like, trailer park. I don't know if that was his house, if it was his mom's house, a friend's house. They didn't really specify. Okay. But they did find him, and they did not have the weapon. He had tossed it somewhere, and they, I don't think they ever found it. But luckily, he doesn't know it. His victim is still alive. So, yeah, motherfucker's going down. In January of 1995, Charles Vaughn pled no contest to rape, kidnapping, and attempted murder, so there was no trial at all. He just, the only real trial was his sentencing, really. Mm-hmm. And he was sentenced to 25 years per count. So I think Good. there were two counts of rape, one count of kidnapping, one count of attempted murder, so he was sentenced to up to 100 years in prison. Yes. He was eligible for parole in 2007 and 2017, but both Maggie and her mom, Linda, have made sure that's not happening. They go back every single time. They get a bunch of petitions out there, people coming to support her, and so he lost both times. Maggie's like, as long as I'm carrying three bullets in my body, your Mm -hmm. ass is staying in prison. Really? It's just unbelievable. Yeah, so he is eligible again every 10 years. He will be, so 2027. But I have faith, Maggie, she's like in her early 40s now, so she's going to keep going for a long, long time to make sure that doesn't Wasn't she born in 1960? Oh, 78. Yeah, 78. So was there any reason to believe that he had committed any other attacks, any other rapes or I didn't see anything. I didn't see anything. I saw a lot of people when I was on the Facebook post. I went pretty deep into this. There's a Facebook post in 2017 from some friends of Maggie who's posted, like, 
a throwback article saying, remember when this piece of trash raped my friend? Like, yeah. he's eligible for and parole this really year. hard to kill her. Yeah, exactly. And so she was, like, just announcing to everybody, hey, sign this petition, go to your local counselor, all this stuff, yeah. and make sure this guy doesn't get out. But a lot of the people were on there like, oh, he's mentally ill. Like, you guys are just demonizing him for his illness. And, and everybody's really? like, it doesn't matter if he's mentally ill. He doesn't need to be on the streets. That's... I don't care. Once you do something like this, your illness is not my concern anymore. Well, we've had that con- we've had that conversation yeah. before that if he's mentally ill mm-hmm. and if it was determined by someone who's qualified and not some mm-hmm. Facebook poster or yeah. Facebook commenter. Exactly. Who knows if that's like his brother or something. It's just like Well, I mean, he should still not be around people that he might potentially victimize. Yeah. But he should be getting treatment. Mm-hmm. If he's not mentally ill, which I suspect is the case because no one ever said, hey, we've determined he's mentally ill, mm-hmm. then he should just be in freaking prison for the rest of his life because if that was the first crime he ever committed, yeah, just imagine where he was going the after that. The escalation it could go to, yeah. That was not going to be the last time. Mm-mm. No. Especially if he got away with it and get, became more confident in his abilities to do this to people. No. Yeah. He is currently serving at Richland Correctional Institute in Mansfield, Ohio, which I had to look it up because I was like, Mansfield? It's literally the prison right next to the Ohio State Reformatory. Just to show you a little bit more about Maggie, she obviously went through that and survived, but she continued the next season for cross country right back on the team. No way. Yep. Joined up the cross country team again, and she was really good. She was one of the star pupils in that, so. Wow. After that, she went on to attend Defiance University in Defiance, Ohio, Mm -hmm. and she joined their cross-country team as well. Wow. Did she regain use of her arm? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Good. In February of 2000, however, she was 21 years old, and it sounded like her junior year of college, she got into a really horrible car accident where she shattered her pelvis into three places, and you know how pelvic injuries can be brutal for the healing. Yes. And also received a concussion because her head hit the windshield and completely busted the window. Oh. She she did an interview after that. She still tells her story to peers and stuff like that at speech giving events and stuff. Yeah. But during one of her speeches, she kind of giggled and admits, I did lose consciousness that time, though. So, um, <laughs> But she still came back, and that was in February of 2000, and she took summer classes to catch back up on her semester that she missed. This is some Melissa Domi I was hoping that you were going to tell me when she um, had the car crash that the bullet fell out of her cheek and she could be rid of one of them. I think they didn't want to mess with her head after the terrible concussion she's got. Yeah, for sure. Took some summer classes, got completely caught up on the semester she had had to miss out on. And then finally, she joined the cross-country team right back up for her senior year. God, she's tough. I know. And her coach... For that year, Coach Stacy encouraged her to come back and said, you know what, if you're willing to do it, and she missed it, so she did it, and her coach said she ended up having a better year, running faster than she ever had, oh despite God. all of it, God. and he even said, there should be a movie about Maggie, because this really girl is should. incredible. She's amazing. But yeah, she graduated Defiance College in May of 2001, and holds slash held, I don't know if it's changed since 2008 when the article was written, but holds slash held the school track record for the indoor 1500 meters from that season where she had a freaking pelvic That's fracture. That's unbelievable. I mean, just chip your tailbone is agonizing. Oh, yeah. I can't imagine breaking your pelvis mm-hmm. in three places and then running cross-country after that. I know. I mean, my joints hurt just running normally. That's so unbelievable. Though She is a warrior. Mm-hmm. So later, that coach, Coach Stacy, that gave the quote about her, went on and nominated her for the NCAA Inspiration Award. Yes. Yay! Yay! And <laughs> so she won the Inspiration Award from yes! NCAA <laughs> and was featured on ESPN. So That's fantastic. Yeah. So after all of this, she went on to attend Capital University Law School to be a paralegal. That's awesome. And as far as I can find to this day, she still works as the victim's rights advocate for the Bucyrus Attorney General's office. That's amazing. In 2008, Maggie joined other survivors, one of which being Elizabeth Smart, you might have heard of her, to write a book called 
You are not alone. The journey from abduction to empowerment to help other victims who had been kidnapped or sexually assaulted of any kind in the past. Yeah. Just to realize that they're not alone. (laughs) You know, literally, it's the title of the book. But you know what I'm saying. Yeah, to realize that there are people who have experienced it and survived Mm -hmm. it. and... And a lot of, like, next steps and one of the points Maggie made when she was talking about this was they might not be ready to hear a lot of the stuff we're writing about in this book. But whether that's a month after it happened to them, to eight years or ten years after it happened, this could help. So yes, right. Just doing her part on that. Well, what they're doing is they're making the resources available to mm-hmm. them. And so that is, when you're ready for this, here it is. And it is actually available. I think it's literally, just search the title, You're Not Alone, colon, The Journey from Abduction to Empowerment. And you can download the free PDF of the entire book on the FBI website. That's awesome. And it's awesome they made it available for... Yeah, everybody has access to it. So if I can, I will link that in both our Instagram post and in the show notes. Wow, Maggie Malloy for the win. Mm-hmm. I am so, so happy to hear that story. She is such a warrior. And an Ohio girl. We love us an Ohio girl. Yeah. But one more thing. Maggie's mother, Linda Malloy, also went on to found the Crawford County Victim Slash Witness Program to help other victims of sexual crimes and kidnappings. And like I said, Maggie tends to do behind the scenes work where she talked about it. And then now that she's written her book and she's gone on I Survive, she's kind of decided it's too traumatic to keep telling my story. So she passed that on to her mom. And her mom continues to go to conventions and different high schools wow. and stuff. So Mama's a warrior too. So everybody in the family is just awesome and I love them so much. <laughs> That was a really good story. Yeah, I'm sorry I cried so much again. I feel a lot better after that one because the acid attacks Mm -hmm. is so just demoralizing. Mm -hmm. It's just a really soul-sucking situation. And so I'm I'm glad you brought us something that was tangible that we could actually look at this and say, look at what a great thing she's done with her life now. And I really do encourage anybody to go watch the I Survived episode. It's on YouTube. Go watch her tell the story because she's a little bit more detailed about it than I want to be because it's her telling the story. I don't feel like I have the right to tell all the details. Right. You don't want to feel like overly intimate. I don't want to be slimy about it. Yeah. That's all I have. Well, I feel really tired after this. I know. I am exhausted. Mine emotionally drained me and then yours emotionally drained me even though it was uplifting at the end. Mm -hmm. And we had an awesome review left this week as well. We did. We got a new review this week from Cola City Tiff, and thank you so much for that. Mm-hmm. We also love Cola City Crime. I listen to them, and they do such a good job. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it means so, of the world to us, honestly. So Give them a listen, because you will like them, I promise you. Mm-hmm. And they're on Instagram as well, as at Cola City Crime. Mm-hmm. And of course, at the very beginning, you heard the trailer for True Crime Storytime with Ivana Estelle. Lately, I have been binging her episodes because she is just so good. She's so good, and you really just need to give her a listen. She is solid, she is in-depth, and she tells her stories in such respectful and almost lyrical way. I just really love listening to her, and I think you will too. So you can find True Crime Storytime with Ivana Estelle on Instagram, and then you can find from there where to listen to her, but it's basically all of the normal platforms. Speaking of Instagram, you can find us on Instagram. Oh, at True Crime B&B. Or also on Facebook or Twitter at the same handle. Yep. If you do just so happen want to send us an email, even if it's to like tell us to shut up about sending us an email, <laughs> we're open to it. Email us at truecrimebnbpod at gmail.com. Bully us! Bully us! <laughs> I think that's it. This is the end of episode 24, and we're so glad you have made it this far. (laughs) And we are following through. I'm going to give Puss an extra five treats for that review, so keep it up, y'all. Excellent. Excellent. And... Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye. (laughs) You're going to have a hell of a lot of so-sos to put in the end of this one today. I'm sorry. Uh, I think we can only use that gimmick once. Maybe just say, no, I'm not them. I'm not, but do you need a wreck? I can probably give you some over-the-counter Pharmacy tech skills. That's true. I've got a plethora of information up here waiting for somebody to ask. For the first half, I will talk. And then I will be silent. I'll say no more words. Hi, I'm Beth. And I'm Bailey. And we're True Crime B&B. <laughs>
panicked. Choke, choke, I'm panicked. choke. I'm sorry. <laughs> All right. But regardless. Should I call you Kermit? Meow. What? Well, that's not what's wrong. <laughs> what does a frog say? Meow. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Oh, holy crap. Well, we're off the rails already. Well, yeah, I'm not sure. I thought you were holding your finger to cough. No, no. I was literally just like, wait, you're going to regret yeah. that. If- so I'm going to list a couple of people, UK citizens, who had things happen to them, and then one other guy. And one other guy. Good God. Good God, y'all. I don't. Was that a reference? I that was James Brown. I don't know who that is. You don't know who James Brown no. is? No. Holy shit. I'm just a zillennial. I don't know. Okay. okay. Bullshit. Boy, I'm still having trouble with this. Let me start that over. Okay. And then they met in person. You're going to make me damn I, so you. So you stop it. Stop <laughs> making, Sorry, I'm trying to stop be strong. Stop making cry sound. 